Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I am delighted to talk to Dr. Shadi Elmasri. You are most welcome, sir. Thank you for having me, and it's uh, been a pleasure watching your latest uh, movement with um, No Design. Yeah, <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, they've been great fun to produce, uh, actually. Yeah. Um, well, Dr. Shetty, who you first don't know, was born and raised in New Jersey in the United States. He began studying the traditional sciences rigorously at age 18. Uh, he studied in Yemen, Mecca and Medina, London and Cairo under several veteran ulama. And he studied Arabic, Maliki, Fiqh, Usul, Akida and Saluk. Uh, in addition to traditional learning, uh, Dr. Shadi did his PhD at SOAS in the University of London, which is not far from where I am, just a couple of miles east, uh, where I'm in London. He did it on Dawa in the works of Imam Abdallah Ibn or Bin Alawi Al Haddad. So forgive me for uh, mispronouncing that. No, um, no problem. Dr. Shadi went on to teach at several universities, including Yale, SOAS, Trinity College, Hartford Seminary, Manhattanville College. Currently, he has found his way back home as scholar in residence and director of education at the New Brunswick Islamic Center in New Jersey. And he is also the founder and head of Safina Society, which I'll link to in the description below, an institution dedicated to disseminating Ahl al-Sunnah and Jama'ah knowledge live and online. Very, very active um, organization, as you are indeed yourself, sir. So today, Dr. Shadi has kindly agreed to talk about spirituality. Now, what I'd like to ask is, what is spirituality and why is it important to being a human being? So, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on your, uh, your program and your podcast. I've watched a lot of your other podcasts with some uh, really thoughtful and insightful guests. So it's great to be here. And I look forward to this uh, coming hour or so. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa manwala. First of all, I've, there's a lot of different ways to talk about spirituality. Mm. But one of the best ways to look at it is that a person can be intellectually satisfied. And intellectual satisfaction requires reason and proofs. I was talking to someone, a questioner the other day, because the message has like a, a hotline almost, like a, a free number you can call and it routes to my phone. Wow. So I picked up the call and this woman, she said, I have this issue, this issue, this issue on them, and I need you to answer these questions. So I answered these questions and she really had nothing to say. Hmm. But she said, something still inside of me is not satisfied. Mm -mm. So I said, that's because there's intellectual thirst just as there's physical thirst right. and there's spiritual thirst. So I um, did a little like um, assessment and my own assessment, quick assessment is that you're, you all, you do have these questions, but your real thirst is a spiritual thirst. Right. And it's, it, you're looking for some intellectual answer to fill a void, but that's not what's going to fill the void. And she was, this was a concept she'd never heard of. Wow. So I said, look, you can't talk about water when you're thirsty. You need to drink water. And you don't need to know what's inside the water and why it's making you happy, uh, satisfied. You don't need to know, right? You just know that it, it works. Mm. So in the same vein, human beings, I find a lot of human beings, a lot of intellectuals, what they're actually looking for 
is spiritual. Yeah. But the route, the only route that they've been trained to go is physical. But there's also a lot of people who go the route of material. Mm. So a lot of wealth, a lot of showing off, a lot of cars, mm. thinking that it's going to fill a spiritual void and not going the, the two steps right next to you is a spiritual practice that you could pick up right now. It's free. You don't have to use a single muscle except your tongue. And within a few days, people are just completely transformed. And we know that this is true because in the world of surgery, you could have a problem that you don't even know you have. Mm. And then within 25 minutes of a procedure, your life is altered forever. How many people's like their eyesight? They don't even know that their eyes are actually getting slowly worse and worse and worse. Then a doctor within literally 25 minutes procedure, it's like he has new eyes. You have new eyes, you have a new life. Some people with you know, different organs, physically, we see this all the time. Well, the MBA and the ulama, they came with this, the prophets and scholars, scholars being the inheritors of prophets. They came with this knowledge and this idea that people have spiritual ailments that are quite easy to fix. They don't know that they have the ailment and they don't know what the cure is. Mm. Right. It's all a big mystery until they learn. Right. And then all of a sudden you ask, how was I even living back in the past? Like, how was I even alive? Right. How was I uh, functioning, mm. not knowing I had this and not using this treatment? And that's where I feel a lot of people, they're looking for sexuality. They're looking towards identity. They're looking towards materialism. They're looking for ideas. Mm. And now there's magical, astronomical <clears throat> thinking. But all they need is something far simpler than that in their spiritual life, which they don't, may not even believe exists. Mm. Mm. So that's how, that's the frame or the, uh, the, the framework by which I wanted to, I want to look at spirituality today and, and, and examine it today. I mean, I like what you're doing there. You're talking about the, there's a certain constants in the in the in our species as a species. So we, we have a need for drink. We have certain phys physical constant need for food and so on. But this also is what a, a spiritual uh, uh, constant, uh, which is necessary for the flourishing and functioning well-being of a human being. So this is not some kind of airy fairy extra for mm -hmm. those who like to meditate no you're, you're saying this is these other things like as you mentioned material material goods and so on ideologies are not going to as christians sometimes put it they're not going to fill that god-shaped hole in in the human heart uh, and yeah. so, uh, that's why spirituality is so important to a human being then that's the idea so as you mentioned earlier from the time of the first human being we needed water mm -hmm. no one's going to debate that Hmm. And this got me thinking also that, you know, there's this clever rabbi. He puts these really nice things out there. Lee Weissman hmm. puts his stuff out there. And one thing he said that, why do we want uniformity when we're all different? Now, on one hand, that is that is true. Right. Certain things, human beings have been made different. Every hmm. cheetah has its own spots. Every zebra has its own stripes. No zebra has the same two stripes. No human being. I didn't know that, by the way. That's, that's interesting. I've learned something today. No zebra has the yeah. same stripes. Okay. Not, they don't, there's not a single repetition of stripe pattern. Uh, snowflakes, no snowflake is the same. Yep. Even I've heard that even sand, when it breaks up, it's impossible to get an identical grain of sand. If you put these all under a microscope, everyone's a different shape. Yeah. And the human being, the face of a human is not 
you can count the number of things in the face, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the skull, the eyebrows, the eyes. Skulls all seem to look the same, right? If you notice skulls, they seem to all look the same, but every human face is different. So this is showing that the creator has will. Okay. He also has deep knowledge because there are certain things that will never change. We all need oxygen and we all need water. We all need sleep, but the human being is not just physical. Okay. We have brains and we have hearts. We have souls and these hearts and souls they also need treatment. And that's one of the problems of the modern world mm. is this, the naturalism and the materialism yeah. that is telling us that, you know, you're just a machine that needs to be pumped in with the right chemicals. But no, we say, maybe you're right, but you're missing a point. Mm. And all over the Quran, there's this concept of Sakina. Mm. And the concept of Sakina is that it is a light that Allah brings down and it hovers upon the person who, who does a dhikr of Allah who remembers Allah. Okay. We say, oh, materialists, you're actually not 100% far off because Sakina is a physical substance, but it's very subtle. Mm. We can't see it. That shouldn't be a problem. We don't see microwaves either, but you see the effect of microwaves. Mm -hmm. You don't see radio waves, but you see the effect of radio waves. You don't see light waves, but you see the effect of light waves. Sakina, you won't see it either, but you will see an effect. And I wish that someone would do some kind of experiment of a person and said, listen, I wonder what the ruling would be. Don't do dhikr besides salah from midnight until today, until you come to the uh, experiment. You're going to come in with a bad mood, right? And then we're going to node you up and we're going to assess you for another hour. And then I want you to start doing dhikr. But it has to be someone trained in dhikr, someone where the dhikr impacts them, right? Uh, we may do this on a thousand people. Now start doing dhikr. Just la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, or recite Quran, or whatever dhikr you want to do. And let's node this person up and see what happens to his blood, to his heart, to his skin, to everything possible physically, because we're telling you, Sakina will come down upon this person. Okay? They will change. Anybody who's been to Ramadan, Masajid in Ramadan, they know I'm different when this when I'm in the prayer for that many days in a row than when I'm outside of Ramadan. Right. Mm -hmm. I know I'm different. Right. We know this. But in order to communicate this with like the materialists, let's I was really curious of how the vital signs of the person, the brain activity of the person completely transforms. Mm hmm. The mood of the person, your interpretation of things will become positive. Everything will be to a positive interpretation, forgiving interpretation. That's because a substance which the revelation is informing us of, we would have never known this. We may be suspicious about it, but we had never known that there is a substance called a nur. It is Allah's light. Sakina is the result of it, tranquility. And both are used interchangeably. Right. Nur and Sakina. And the Prophet said, The angels surround them. So there's a third element. It's all synonymous because it's the angels. They're composed of light and they bring it down. The light causes tranquility. The angels cause tranquility. Okay. And they surround the person until they're completely tranquil. They've transformed. And you physically will transform too. 
Diseases can be cured by this, right? Sicknesses can be avoided by this. In the same way that I've watched videos, which I totally am convinced by, where skin rashes and various disorders of the skin have solely been healed by positive thinking, mm -hmm. by the medicine of thinking, of, of realizing you're causing your own skin rash. Mm. Your own autoimmune disease is almost like self-inflicted by negative thoughts. And the person buys into it. And every time they get a negative thought, they displace it with a positive thought. Well, we, we have the same sunnah from the prophet, peace be upon him. Mm -hmm. But then the rash goes away, right? It's on Netflix, these shows. 50% of them are a bit wild, right? But this one I was convinced by. is convinced by it because you see it in people, right? You start to look better because you're thinking positive. You're optimistic about the future. So that's all the mercy that anybody can access, but the sakina, the nur, the dhikr, is the mercy that is only accessed through the Qur'an. In other words, you have to believe in the Qur'an. Well, the Qur well, that, well, 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 that was my point, actually. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, all this sounds great, um, but you've got to be a Muslim to practice this, haven't you? You've got to believe in the Qur'an. Uh, you can't just be... There's not a technology that you can detach from uh, these practices and somehow... Um, like a kind of a, a quasi or pseudo Sufi practice, which is devoid, uh, divorce from the creed and the beliefs of Islam. So the, the, this is rooted in Islam, the tr traditional practices and beliefs. You mentioned Ramadan, of course, which, which is obviously uh, one of the pillars of Islam. Here's the, that's a good question or a good point. And there's no doubt that in order to be rewarded by Allah, you must first submit to Allah. That's, there's no doubt about that. Mm. And there's no doubt that beliefs themselves are part of our spiritual health. Like to believe that I'm going somewhere better than this world. That just that belief relieves a lot of anxiety regarding aging, right? Just the belief that when my soul leaves my body, the soul never gets old. Yeah. I'm going to be youth again, right? I'm going to be a youth again. In the Barzakh, the Barzakh is the realm between life and resurrection. Yeah. All those souls, they have no age. There's no age. There's no old people and young people. Mm -hmm. The body may have been old and young, but there's no old people and young people. Mm -hmm. The face that I'm given, the body that I'm given, if I'm resurrected righteous, uh, if I'm righteous and I'm resurrected, it's going to be a perfect body. Mm. The way I like it exactly to be. So just that belief is a form of spirituality. Because it, it re removes from the human being this abstract source of anxiety, aging. Okay? But there's another thing, though, which Allah alludes to in the Quran. The mere mention of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does have an impact on a person before they enter Islam. And what's the proof of that? The proof of that, I'll give you from the Quran, but I'll also give you proof from the seerah. The Prophet wasallam took a pagan chief who was fighting against the Muslims. And he told the army, leave him to me. He took him. And he tied him up to a pillar in the mosque. And he would have people bring him food a couple times throughout the day. And he left him there for 15 days. And he observed him and he would talk to him. And he said to the man, after the 15 days, do you now see that this is the truth? The Prophet had seen the man completely change, and the Muslims saw him change. Wow. He said, no, it is not the truth. I do not submit to it. 
So the Prophet ﷺ untied him and let him go. Mm-mm. That man walked out outside uh, the precinct of the city of Medina, okay, where everyone could see him, then walked right back in and took <laughs> his testimony of faith. Wow. And he said, oh, Messenger of Allah, this is so that nobody says uh-huh. that I did this to get out of the shackles. Yeah. I wanted to show everyone I'm free. I can leave and I'm coming willingly. Wow. So what happened? He's a pagan. Yet the remembrance of Allah, the surrounding environment affects the person. Mm-hmm. And we point to this in the Quran in which Allah says, so here in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually is oh, he's fair and he gives credit where credit is due. And it explains a lot to us Muslims why Christianity, Judaism has survived and mm-hmm. given some degree of spiritual mental stability to its people. Because Allah says, if it was not one party rectifying another party, then there would have been much corruption in the earth and many churches, synagogues, and temples would have been destroyed. Oh, in which the name of Allah is mentioned. Exactly, exactly. So why is it that there is, you, can, you can't doubt that the mental health, if I tell you there's a vi- village of all Christians here, practicing Christians, another village of all uh, left-wing uh, liberals of TikTok people, <laughs> right? Hey, are, are they a tribe, are they? I didn't know they were a tribe. but I've we, we need to make them a tribe right, to contain <laughs> these people, right? Which one of them is going to have better mental health, do you think? Oh, that's an, <laughs> right? The Christians, right? Yes. They, they're not, we don't say it's true, but they're going to have better mental health. Why? Yeah. Because the name of Allah is mentioned. Yeah. The concept of afterlife is mentioned. The concept of a caring God exists. Yeah. The concept of his communication to us exists. Mm-hmm. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the credit where credit is due, pointing to that they do say the word Allah. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you another one. This is totally my theory. It has nothing to do with truth, but it's my theory. I watched a story about a, uh, a priest. How did this man become a, a pastor, a priest, or whatever? He ends up saying that he was an athlete. He was a star athlete and he was into all sorts of athletics, but he was an atheist. He had a skydiving accident in which his parachute was faulty and he came down and he broke his hips and he had a terrible, he was in a terrible coma. He said, in this coma, I, I had this experience where I'm laying down and demons came and they're scratching away at my body, scratching away at my body. I'm in uh, the worst pain you can imagine. These demons. And then I said to myself, I can't think of anything. I don't know any prayer. I don't even know how to pray. But he said, I remembered one thing from Sunday school. Jesus. So I kept saying, Jesus, Jesus. I kept shouting the word Jesus. Mm-hmm. Every time I shout the word Jesus, these demons would be in pain. And more pain and more pain until the more I was sincere in calling out Jesus, more pain until they were burning and they had to flee. The guy wakes up, he goes through his coma, he, he, he goes through his therapy, he keeps thinking about this, this, this experience he had until he becomes a priest, right? How do we as Muslims explain this? Number one, I could say he's lying. It's possible. I personally chose to, to accept his testimony. I interpret it very simply. 
the names of prophets are blessings. The names of prophets, not the belief about them. The name of a prophet is a blessing. Mm -hmm. The name of a messenger is a rahmah. And it has it has expelled demons. There's light connected to the mere name of a prophet. Mm-hmm. Don't we have a saying in Islam upon the mention of the righteous, the mercy of Allah descends. So now he wakes up and he interprets it that the Trinity is what saved me. No, the Trinity doctrine didn't save you. Just the name of Jesus was enough. Right. right? Mm-hmm. That's my interpretation of that event. Yeah. So just the mere remembrance of the name of Allah and the names of prophets, okay, is something that also calls down and attracts Sakina. And this is very interesting. You mentioned that he was uh, an atheist before his traumatic uh, experience and then subsequent turning to, to God, and he's a priest, as you say. But what is your view about atheists? I mean, there, there are ideas uh, around, and I think they have some credence that many atheists, not all atheists, um, are, are not really pure materialists. See, these people deep down are angry that uh, they are. They may have uh, emotional, uh, intense emotional issues to do with the very existence of God, and there may be an element for some of them, at least. Of I mean, what's the worst thing you can do to someone? Is it to hate someone? Well, no. Maybe the worst thing you can do to someone you're angry with is to wipe them out of your consciousness, to say they do not exist. So someone who did believe in God may have had a very traumatic experience, maybe a, a breakdown of a relationship or a big disappointment, may have lost their job or a health issue, whatever. And they have blamed God for this. And the ultimate way of dis- destroying God in their life is to deny his existence. And so they're not really atheists in a kind of serene philosophical sense. They're people with unresolved uh, life issues, and which is why some atheists or even many atheists appear to be obsessed with religion, um, yep. constantly wanting to attack religion. You think they'd be serenely indifferent to it, but oh no, uh, their passion in life. I know what one atheist is actually a friend of mine. I won't mention him, who um, I know from Speaker's Corner. I mean, he pursues me around Twitter all over the place. He's constantly, he's been doing this for like a year or two or my no, no design post. This guy is obsessed with God. And yet yeah. to him, he is an absolute convinced atheist. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a strange phenomenon, isn't it? It's, it's so kind of weird. You know, this- oh, it's totally telling, right? Yeah. Now, let me ask. I have some guys in the room, too. Uh, and, and yourselves, can you name three Greek gods? Can you name three Hindu gods? Like, which god is the god of what? Can you name a single Native American god? Right. Can you name a single, what do the Chinese even worship? Who knows, right? Like you don't even know this stuff because you don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. The real sign of that you don't believe in something is you don't even bother looking at it, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the real reaction. If you truly don't believe in God, that's the most, that's the, that's the reaction that truly tells me you don't believe this is true. Is mm-hmm. that you never even investigated. Mm-hmm. But someone spending hours and hours and, and, and the amounts of emotion, time and energy tells me, You don't have a theological issue. You actually have an emotional problem. And that emotional problem is a false association. And a false association is the idea that something bad happened to you in the periphery or in the view was maybe a priest, was maybe a Muslim, was maybe a a religious figure of some sort. And you, maybe very subconsciously or maybe not, you attach the two together. So the first thing is I would say that 
religious figure, a religious person does not represent God, right? No religious person alive, we could say, represents the totality of God's will. So that's the first false association that's been made. The second false association is that God in any way is involved in the hardships of your life. I think you put up the other day, I don't know who put it up, but it may have been your page the other day that a man sat at the barber's uh, chair and he said, you know what? Uh, I don't believe in barbers. He said, how? I'm right here. He said, well, I mean, I look outside and a lot of people are unkempt. Their <laughs> hair is too long and they're, they're not trimmed. He said, they don't come to me. He said the same thing with God and atheists, right? Like, why would you just because there are bad things that happens in the world, that's because people didn't follow God's guidance, mm. right? And when people say, oh, why didn't God stop evil? He said, he did by sending you a law, right? But he has some respect for your willpower and said, you follow it on your own, right? So when God's law comes and says, don't do this, you get upset. When you don't follow God and you fall into a pitfall, you say, where was God? It doesn't work like this. He's going to send you a law. You follow it to the best of your capability. He's not going to force you because then there'll be no punishment, no reward mm. if he forced you. This is the idea that a lot of the atheists are having an emotional issue, which mm. some of these emotional issues can really be tackled, rationally speaking, um, and maybe may, like we can assess it rationally. We can assess it rationally. What, uh, but how to, how to heal someone from, from, you know, their emotional traumas. I don't know exactly how that is supposed to work, but rationally we can analyze mm. what's going on with them. Like if I have a guy who's a total normal guy, but then every time you bring up beards, he flies off the handle. Mm -mm. I know something happened with him in beards. Otherwise it's not, it's not, there's no other interpretation. Something yeah. in him happened in beards. Maybe someone blamed him. Maybe they looked down upon him. Yeah. Maybe they called him names because he didn't have a beard. So he flies off the handle on the subject of beards, right? And I think every, every one of us knows somebody that before you meet this person, you guys said, listen, don't bring this up, right? He's going to fly off the handle in an irrational manner. He's got some issues regarding that subject, right? And that subject, I believe, you know, you could trace. That's what therapists are for. Trace yeah. back your issues until you break that false connection. Mm -hmm. There's a false connection between you and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and this issue mm -hmm. that you've connected. But I, I think, I mean, in some of the, the Dawah characters, the people I know who uh, talk about Islam uh, to the general public uh, here in London, I came across one brother a while ago. Obviously, I won't say where and when or anything, but... He, he had discovered, um, he was a bright young guy, I think he was a medical student, he had discovered the ontological argument. Okay, I won't, I won't go into the ontological argument, but it's a, a particularly clever argument, seemingly, for the existence of God. And, and he was ready to deploy this argument on, on the innocent public, you know, um, if he came across an atheist, I mean. And I said to him, I think, well, that, that, that's great, but I don't think it's going to make much difference because having studied a little bit of philosophy myself, you know, all any argument, whether it be cosmological argument, ontological argument, uh, uh, and so on, you come up with, there are counter arguments available. Mm -hmm. Now, the counter arguments may not be good, you may not be persuaded they're any good, but they do exist. And so uh, every assertion meets a counter assertion, every point, yeah. the counterpoint. And you're in this eternal struggle between, between two people who are arguing and arguing and arguing forever now. Now, 
faith is not based on arguments, I, I don't think, or, or, or rational proofs in that sense of logical arguments for God's existence. It is also uh, to do with the fitna, you know, fitra, rather, your innate disposition, natural belief in a transcendent uh, God and a sense of justice and, and so on. And is that, and that's one of the things I like about these amazing pictures of, of, of nature, of, of whether it be birds or mm-hmm. cosmos or, or uh, insects, because they speak that speak to me, uh, uh, speak to everyone, uh, ayat, of signs in creation that indicate a transcendent intelligence and design uh, and, and just a marvel, just a marvel at the, uh, the glory of a creator who, who has created this extraordinary abundance in our universe. And I found that, and if people don't want to pick up, pick up on that, if they say, no, there's no God, this is all meaningless and accidental, I say, okay, that's your deal, because an argument's not going to persuade them, in my view. Yeah. You can't shoehorn people into faith if, they, if for some reason they're not willing to see what is blindingly obvious to everyone else. That they have a, it's almost like a sickness that they have something has stopped them from seeing the obvious like a person who's sick can't eat tasty food and appreciate yeah. the nourishment and the goodness it gives them they, Ugh, this food's horrible and it may be perfectly yeah. good food is a similar kind of dynamic going on i think and uh it's great it's what you say about dealing with these atheists with the rational arguments mm. so because allah created our intellect and he created the world around us and he revealed the book all three of these must be aligned. Mm. It's impossible for there to be contradiction. When a person comes to you with the attitude of an argument, mm. there's no point. The, 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 the beauty of the rational uh, basis for belief does not settle in the heart that wants to argue. It settles in the heart that's just like normal. Yeah. Right? Is in a normal state. And I find the most effective use of these arguments is not even framed as an argument. It's like, while we're not even discussing theology, someone brings up, hey, if one equals plus one equals two, and two plus three equals five, right? Then five plus three must equal eight. And in passing, right? It's That's what settles in a person's mind. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that does make sense. Because right? if you think about the, the Allah is of the outwardly apparent and the inwardly hidden. Mm. How is he outwardly apparent and inwardly hidden? Certain attributes are apparent to anyone who has a, sa- a sound mind. Mm-hmm. And certain attributes are not apparent unless you study the revelation. Right. And someone transmitted to you the revelation. His existence, his knowledge, his creative power, it's apparent to anybody who has a sound mind. Yeah, exactly. His name, how he wants to be worshipped, his 99 names, that is hidden until some a prophet transmits a book to the people right a heavenly book so we have to study we have to read transmitted knowledge mm. to gain that knowledge uh, then there's marifa or gnosis which is a spiritual knowledge of god that is also hidden until you do a lot of worship and when you do a lot of remembrance of allah privately between yourself and him that stuff unveils itself to you mm. right inside of your heart and so the rational arguments I always look at the attitude of the person. If he's coming with the chessboard set, there's no point. Mm. And the only time I would engage him is to see what kind of artillery he has. Hmm. Because the theologians have to answer everything. In Islam, the theologians must answer every riddle that they put forth. Because what they're putting forth is riddles, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They're putting forth chess moves. There is an answer to every chess move. Mm -hmm. So they can mislead many people. 
And the scholars must have answers to this. So, for example, can God create a rock that he cannot lift? This is a riddle. Where, how can I undo this riddle? Okay. You got to sit down and the theologians figured it out. First of all, there's no such thing as an unliftable rock. It's not a quality of rocks. Quality of rock is a weight. Right. Secondly, who said that God, why do you assume God lifts? Where's this assumption that God lifts stuff? Right. Mm -hmm. So there's many snuck premises in that. Yes, exactly. Secondly, thirdly, what you're truly asking is, can God make himself not powerful, mm. essentially? Mm -hmm. And we say that what you're asking is for a contradiction. So you use the word God, you must accept all of the meanings of God. You can't then say, can God not be God, essentially? Mm. Can the all-powerful not be powerful? Your, your question itself is null and void on that grounds. So there's two snuck premises, and the entire thing is a, a null and void because you're truly asking for a contradiction, right? Can a square have three sides? Well, you just said square. You have to accept the rest of your statement has to accept the definition of squareness. Yeah. So this is the chess of theology, right? If we don't have some theologians who say this, many, many, many people will go astray. And I met Saudis. I met a Saudi guy. He himself was a Palestinian. He went to school with a Saudi guy. He said, in the class, the Saudi kid would ask in high school, uh, what do we say if someone says, what if God, can God make himself not exist? Can God make another God? All these questions, right? And because the Saudi curriculum, it does not allow for kalam, their culture, they don't even know what kalam is anymore. Yeah. The new generation that they raised. The teacher said, we don't ask such questions. Okay, fast forward. Time, and, and by the way, high schoolers, they don't really think about this. It's just, it was a thought, right? In his passing thought of a high schooler, okay? But he never got an answer. So what happens if a little germ enters your body and you never expel it by bathing or whatever? Yeah. It grows and grows and grows. That young man, fast forward, came to college, both came to America, and he found him an atheist murtad, right? Mm. He said, those teachers... Those Islamic studies, they were the dumbest people I ever met, right? So it's because at some level, you have to be able to, to answer the, the curveball of, of the atheists. So I that's the what, function. I, no, well, yeah. one of my favorite, uh, on my, under my Twitter handle, I'm not advertising my Twitter handle, I'm just saying, uh, I've got a quote here. Uh, Atheist, if God created the universe, then who created God? Very popular question. Yeah. Uh, me, inverted commas, if a baker baked a cake, then who baked the baker? Yeah, exactly. Now, this is a very kind of succinct and kind of amusing way of putting it, but there's yeah. a category mistake to say who made God. It is a fundamental error in, in thinking. And so, you know, if the baker baked a cake, then who baked the baker? Well, obviously no one did. And that's yeah. the point. You, people don't make bakers. People, yeah. God, it was not made, could not be made. He is the uncaused cause of all things, the eternal uncaused. So, but, but it's a very common question. If God created the universe and who created God is something that surprisingly, even when you answer it, atheists still bring it up over and over and over. Because the uh, definition of God with a capital G, Mm. is a very simple yet limited definition. Yeah. We can say the philosophical definition or, or description of the word God. One of those definitions is that the laws of this world do not apply to him. He made them. Mm -hmm. He is un therefore uh, uncaused and exists by necessity. Mm. 
Yeah. In the same way that Aristotle and these guys said the world exists by necessity, the universe exists by necessity. So we say, no, the creator exists by necessity. All of the laws, cause and effect, time, space, and matter, he made them, therefore they don't apply to him. Mm-hmm. That's the meaning of transcendence. So oftentimes you have philosophers, atheists employing the word God, not actually anywhere in their book defining what this word is. It's yeah. like, what is a woman? That's today. hundred years ago, it should have been, what is God, right? Very good, very good. Yeah. Every atheist, tell me, give me the definition of God. No, we will give you the airtight definition of God. When we say that, we, what we're talking about is what reason itself will come up with. Okay. Allah is a different description. The word Allah, it adds that to everything the prophet bought. So they're not the same, no. right? The word God describes or Al-Ilah, the deity, that we have a deity, the creator, Al-Khaliq. There is a definition we can give with our minds, transcendent beyond this cause and effect. He's the first, he, he's the first creator and he is uncaused. He exists by necessity. He is one, right? Et cetera, et cetera. That's the definition of God. And for each one, we can give a very simple proof from reason or observation or both. That's what a cosmology is. Reason and observation equals conclusion. Mm. The definition of the name Allah is different now. Or the description of the name Allah. It's because some people don't like to use the word definition. But the description of the name of Allah, it adds to that now all that the Quran and the Sunnah brought. Mm-hmm. So there's a philosophical, because a philosopher, he doesn't use Quran and Sunnah. So we're just dealing with reason here. And so we have to give him his proofs with reason. And I'm telling you what the benefit of a Muslim youth is. I'm telling you, when I read that, when I picked up the Ash'ari books, and I first didn't know about the Ash'aris, I first was just picking up the regular books, like any, most, the default was Salafi, right? So I pick up those books. I went to college and I started picking up the philosopher's books really bothered me that I really believed these scholars of Islam cannot answer these philosophers. They cannot even playing on the same level. And I was right, right? Most of those ethity transmission only, they cannot even play ball. They wouldn't even know where the pitch came from. Mm-hmm. It would strike out on three strikes, three pitches. Until I opened the Ash'ari books and met some Ash'ari scholars and then I felt like we have our own soldiers. They can also, match. To be, to, uh, I, I see what you're saying, but also to be fair to the Athari view, perhaps, I mean, not, I'm not a scholar, so who am I to say, but someone like uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, uh, it strikes me, having read a little bit of his work, was an incredibly supple and subtle thinker who did use reason uh, to a powerful effect. He wouldn't have retreated um, from engaging these issues. On the contrary, he was very engaged. So he wasn't like the caricature Salafi who said, oh, kalam, kalam, run away. Um, he was someone who uh, engaged using reason and rationality, pointing out the problems with a certain understanding of rational discourse that he associated with certain eminent uh, um, Ashari theologians. Uh, theologians. I think that um, he's, an, he's actually an exception. He fathered a movement. There was no son like him. Ibn, uh, Dr. Hatsim al-Hajj, I'm, I'm pretty sure like verbatim in my, explana- uh, uh, my, my talk with him, said that Ibn Taymiyyah, he used reason. Yes. Right? Yeah, to fight against reason. 
right? Well, a, a certain understanding. Certain, ele- certain elements. Not reason reason. itself, but a certain understanding. Yeah. Certain in, elements. Certain elements. The man was a theologian of Kalam, right? He, he, he didn't come to the conclusions that the no. other Kalam scholars, but he definitely utilized reason and yeah. his brain could have uh, captured and absorbed all of what these philosophers say without a doubt. Yeah. Like if you put Ibn Taymiyyah up against the greatest philosophers, you shouldn't worry mm. in the sense that you might not get the conclusion you want as uh, like the Ash'aris and Maturidis, but he will, un- he will not be schooled by them. Mm, no. Whereas your average, either the average theologian that studies no kalam whatsoever, mm. he will be completely flustered to the point that the confidence of a Muslim youth, what is this? Why are we getting smashed by these guys, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not even in the game. You're not answering any of these questions. So as myself, as someone very curious and others who are very curious could not respect such a scholar. So we came upon like at Fakhr al-Razi, Muhammad al-Ghazali, I said, okay, these people are able to take these pitches. That's a curveball. That pitch doesn't even count, right? And this one will smash it out this way. We'll smash out this one to left field, center field, right down the middle, blah, blah, blah. It gives you confidence. Even when I was young, I didn't understand any of the Ashadi arguments. Mm. I, I think Ibn Taymiyyah did say somewhere that there was actually compared to the position that his position and the Ashrite position were actually quite close compared to the position of the philosophers, uh, mm. Ibn Sina and others, who, uh, his view, you know, were steps outside of Islam because they denied uh, God's knowledge of particulars, they denied the bodily resurrection, they denied and so on. This was like, whoa, outside. So compared yeah. to that, actually, the, the Ashrites and, and Ibn Taymiyyah actually quite close but now mm-hmm. under these certain magnifying glass it looks as if they're actually a long way apart but even Tamir didn't think so he saw them as very close really compared to the other um options uh, that were available at that time and also the early, the the more back you go in islam the less new issues came like why do we have so many groups today people may ask this question why don't we just unify again well mm-hmm. islam came as one and the Muslims were one mm. until a new issue came. Mm. The world is always in, in flux, right? There's new pitches coming at you, new curveballs coming to the Ummah. How to answer these curveballs is where the Muslims got divided. They didn't get divided on the essence, right? They didn't get divided on the essence. But every new curveball that comes along splinters the Muslims even further not on the essence of Islam, but how to answer this curveball. Yeah, right? it's true. How do we deal with philosophers? Right. Mm-hmm. It's basically someone says, well, I don't even talk to them. No, we got to answer them. Right. How do we answer them then this way? No, that way. So the further back you go, you find that there was more, much more unity amongst the Muslims because yeah. there were less problems. Right. Mm-hmm. There were less problems and there were less common folk pitching in to the conversation too. Sheikh Muhammad al-Yaqubi, of course, his father was a big uh, Ash'ari scholar. And he said that his neighbor was a Hanbali. Mm-hmm. They used to walk to the prayer together. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, that's the story he told me. And they would have the heated debates in theology, but nobody would know these things. Like these debates would happen. He learned of these debates later on in life, right? Which reminded me of the story of the Kennedys in America, just to show that a civilization, when it's small, the diff- discord is less. The more it grows, the discord is more. I remember one of the Kennedys telling me that it was like an issue for them when they reached certain age and they realized 
there's Democrats and Republicans and that they don't see eye to eye. He said, because their uh, father in Massachusetts would have the Democrats and Republicans for lunch all the time. They were always over. They're always for tennis, country club. And the kid never knew there's a difference. We're just Americans, right? We're fighting the Russians. Until time passed, I learned, oh my gosh, they fight in the Senate and in the Congress, right? I thought we only fight the Russians and we're all Americans, right? So likewise, the more you go back in any civilization, there's less problems. And they're still just trying to survive. So there's a lot more unity. And the more things that shaitan is throwing and the world is throwing at us and the failure of the ummah is throwing at us, the more we're going to be divided on everything. COVID, masks or no masks in the mosque. Separate the rows or not, fitna. Everything that you have, fitna, 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 right? So it's, it is a true that in the past, these divides and these issues were very subtle and oftentimes only between the scholars. I'm thinking, I mean, although this is, is already true, I mean, I, I meant the privilege of, of uh, doing a video uh, several days ago um, with uh, a distinguished uh, a scholar, uh, Dr. Carl Sharif al Tubki, um, yep. from Brandeis University, on Islam and LG, LGBTQ, in inverted commas, gender, sexuality, morality, and identity, um, which has proved to be a phenomenally important uh, video. And I, I really believe, I'm not just saying it, it really is a, a significant contribution to the contemporary debate. The reason I mention this is because this is where a lot of the battleground is now um, and there's and these ideas lgbtq ideas are um are universal they're they're pumped out by governments corporations by the media by the american embassies in kuwait putting up flags and tweets to the the kuwaiti government it really is big time western imperialism you know we're going to convert the world to this ideology you know, debates about the attributes of God, you know, and, you know, are, are, they, are they literal, are they metaphor? you know, which is <laughs> of yesteryear seem really uh, to, to have been left behind where fundamentals of the faith are now under direct attack uh, by all of the organs of, of, of civil society, it seems to me. I don't, I think it's impossible to exaggerate, actually. It's become total now. Yep, um, yep. And, and, you know, the, the, this seems to me the new reality uh, where the, the, the Ummah exists in now. And there's nowhere you can hide from it. As I said, I mentioned mm-hmm. Kuwait, I mentioned um, uh, obviously Americans, uh, Muslims in America and Britain and France and Germany and everywhere. Um, we're expected, the religion is expected to change in fundamental ways because the West says so. Mm-hmm. And there's no possible room for dissent or disagreement or saying, excuse me, I'd rather not because my faith takes precedence. That's not yeah. an excuse anymore. No, you will change your faith or mm-hmm. you're a really bad person. You can be deplatformed. You can lose your job. You'll be ostracized or worse. Anyway, I just want to throw that out there because it just seems to be a, such a huge issue now. I wish it wasn't, but um, it, it makes atheism seem like a, Tea party compared to what's going on. Uh, now. Totally, to, it totally does. And and uh, let me tell you one time. Uh, and I want to close before uh, uh, when we close the uh, chapter on the, um, uh, the, the, the rational proofs. Yeah, sorry, of course. Rational proofs is almost like the Excedrin you have to have in your cabinet, right? You have to know when to take it out and when to use it, right? But the contemplation and the observation of the creation. 
is going to be the 95% mm. of what puts in the heart of a person. There's an amazing creator. Exactly. Exactly. And when I see like a little type of bird that has 10 colors and then some of them fluorescent, they change based on how the sun is. It's almost like, I don't know what the word is, but it's a, it's not one color. And then you have like five feathers are blue on, mm. on top of his head. It just tells you that there's such a care of beauty and care to attention and details by this creator. Mm -hmm. So just to close that point in that it's 95% of the time it is awe, and it's also spiritual experience. Spiritual yeah. experience right. is prayers that are answered. Yep. That's what betresses a person's faith. Now, the bridge to this and how to handle the LGBTQ, because belief in the creator is it only gives you half the battle. Mm. You need to now know what the creator wants from us. Right. How do we know that? That's only going to come in the same way that we're giving observe, observing the creation to know the creator, to know the creator's will. We need to know his messenger. Mm. And so to do, if imagine if you took 50% of your energy and you looked at the creation you're going to have full amen. Your amen is going to be very strong. Yeah. If you take the other 50% now and dive that into the messenger he sent and the book that he sent, now you're going to have certainty in his will. What does he want me to do? Right? What's right and wrong? Exactly. So the prophet and the book that he brought is what's the, the energy to that is going to cement that amen. Why is that important? Because you can totally believe in a creator and have no issue with LGBTQ. Mm, mm, mm. Who's to say what's right and wrong? It's mm. prophethood and revelation mm. cemented in the hearts of the Muslims that is going to make them simply immovable regarding their book and their beliefs. Okay? You can move my hand, you can move, but you can't move, change my mind, right? Mm. Because my mind is fixed. The Prophet Muhammad is true. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Quran is true. So, and it's crystal clear on this subject matter of LGBTQ. Mm. And so, all the Muslims have to do is keep hammering home at every turn, watering the pot and watering the seeds of your Prophet and your book so that you, not only you know that there's a creator, you know what he wants to and what yeah. he loves and what he hates. They say, how, how could your creator hate? Anytime a Christian says, our God doesn't hate. He doesn't hate Hitler. He doesn't hate Trump. You, got, you hate him so much, right? You guys hate these guys so much. But your God doesn't hate? Uh, the silence. Wait, he, God doesn't hate Trump, Hitler? You can't say it. You, you literally, it's kufr to say that. Anything sympathetic to Hitler, right? Yeah. That's the whole Western civilization is based upon that starting point. Yeah. That's the definition of evil, right? Hitler did a favor for Western civilization in the sense of, uh, not in a good way, but in the sense, in the functional way of drawing a line of what is evil. Mm. Now we can define ourselves on the opposite. Like you need a bad guy and every civilization needs a bad guy. Yeah. Islam, it was Quraysh. Every time that we talk about Islam, what do we say? Kufar Quraysh, Kufar Quraysh. This is the evil. We move forward. Moses, Pharaoh, Western civilization, it's Hitler. So God hates too. What does he hate? 
He hates everything that nullifies what he loves. So if he loves faith, he hates disbelief. If he loves the sound intellect of a human being, because it leads him to good, he hates alcohol, right? He hates drunkenness, I should say, right? If he loves angels, he hates demons. So if he loves that which reproduces and is healthy and is with the fitra between a man and a woman, then he hates the opposite. Right. So you, everyone who loves one thing must hate its opposite or what negates it, at least. So, yeah, we say God hates. Allah says the Quran, Allah, and what is the hatred of Allah? It's not like our hatred. Uh, uh, sit around talking badly about them and stuff like that. That's our hatred. It's a feeling in the heart. The hatred of Allah Ta'ala is that this thing will attract what is painful. Mm-hmm. He has created for this thing. It will attract his punishment and his wrath. And what he loves, it will attract what he loves and his reward and what is pleasurable and what is good and peaceful. So that's so that nobody imagines, oh, you have a God who's get red in the face and he hates gays. No, the hatred of God, it means the attraction of pain and punishment. He's created that thing to attract pain and punishment. And the love of God, it includes his reward, right? It's his pleasure and his reward. So, I think that the Muslim's way forward practically is very difficult and it's very hard to even begin. But spiritually speaking, it should be easy. A lot of learning and recitation of the book of Allah and the mention of his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Why do I mention the prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Because a book, the idea of a book is abstract. But a human is easy for humans to love. Humans love other humans. Right. And so to put this all in a human has been a great gift that Allah has given us. Sayyidah Aisha said, the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he's the Quran walking. Mm. Okay. Because the Quran, can I, can I talk to it? But what do I do? It's yes, it's the Quran, of course. But Allah gave us a human. And, and humans do human things. The Quran doesn't eat. I don't know how to eat. Mm-hmm. The Quran doesn't marry. I don't know how to marry, right? So, but he gave us a human. And so there, the emphasis on the Prophet ﷺ is more emotional than with the Quran. So a human being can say, could you disobey the Quran? No, nah, I can reinterpret it. Okay. You, but if you raise a child on the love of the messenger, so you would want to meet the messenger on the day of judgment like that? And we believe the Prophet has shown your deeds. This is spirituality for us. The Prophet has hadith. I'm shown your deeds. Your deeds are shown to me. Do you want the Prophet to see this deed? Or do you want him to see good deeds? Yeah. Rabi al-Adawiyya, she said, from that hadith is my motivation to pray to Hajjud. I want the Prophet to know I'm praying to Hajjud. I want him to be proud. It's so easy to have that relation with a human, much harder with an abstract idea. Yeah, yeah that's very good. Well, perhaps we can uh, draw it to a conclusion there. Um, thank you very much indeed, uh, Dr. Shadi, for your uh, time. Uh, just to stress that he's the head of the Safina Society, um, which I'll link to in the description below. It's certainly worth investigating. Very, very active on YouTube, on Twitter, Facebook, um, as, as, as a website as well, um, do, doing amazing work um, uh, live uh, online as well. Um so thank you very much indeed uh, for your time, Dr. Shirley, for today. My we- pleasure.
my pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, inshallah, we could do it again sometime. Actually, we should do the opposite too. We come on to our live stream, inshallah. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, thank you. Well, that'd yeah. be amazing. Thank you very much. All right. Well, you until then, until next time. Thank you. Take okay, care. my pleasure. Thank you very much. So. Bye-bye.